Welcome to the Money Makers podcast brought to you by Sophia. Sophia is an exciting education platform for women with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. This podcast is a finance, innovation and investing show for amazing women everywhere of all ages. Each fortnight, we will feature an inspiring woman from the investing and finance sector or a female founder with a special focus on Asia. To receive a 10% discount on all of our courses, go to sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10. And today's guest is Grace Cheng, Director of Investment Research at SIFE. Welcome, Grace. Thank you, Tanya. Very happy to be here with you. Very excited for this session. It's been a long time coming. We've been planning this for some time. Um, So wonderful to have you with us today and looking forward to releasing this episode. So perhaps we can start with a a short introduction to yourself and what you're up to at the moment. Okay, yeah, sure. So right now, um, I work in investment research at SIFE. So this means that, um, you know, I I help out on the content side as well as um, thinking of improving the current to the products that we have um, on the platform um, across like wealth, site wealth and site trade. And then yeah, I joined about five months ago and I came from sort of like a traditional asset manager um, at Templeton. And then before that, I was doing like sell site research. So, you know, researching about fixed income, about bonds for two years. Fantastic. Um, and you're based in Singapore, Grace? Yes, I am. Same as me. Been very hot recently, yeah, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> wow, yeah. summer's come so early. Hard. It's so hard to like find things to do on a weekend, like with kids when it's so hot outside. Tell me about it. Yeah. Do you have a pool? Do I have a, no, I don't have a pool. No, that, yeah. That's literally the only thing. You are welcome to come and use my pool <laughs> and the children can play anytime you like. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> um, so let's dig in a little bit around your university days. So obviously you're based in Singapore. Did you grow up in Singapore? Um, for the most part, yeah. So yeah. I was born in Shanghai, but um, I did most of my formal schooling um, up until junior college in Singapore. Okay. And then you headed to Colombia. And tell me what took you over there and what did you study? Yeah. So I think it was um, down to like a process of elimination of um, why I wanted to to be, you know, so what I wanted to to do. So actually for my degree, I did um, engineering, um, but it's not really about building bridges. It's what it's called industrial um, industrial engineering and operations research. Um, but what we jokingly call it imaginary engineering, because yeah, I mean, most of the stuff that, that we did were, you know, were very like data heavy. You're thinking about like processes. So you could come down to like, you know, managing traffic patterns, uh, like the queuing system, you know, and different like operational processes. But a lot of um, my, um, including myself and some of my, my friends, we ended up in finance. Yeah, but in terms of like sort of how we got there, how I, I got there, I knew that I wanted to, so after like, you know, A-levels, I knew that I wanted to do something that's quite quantitative. So I, I really like math, I really like science, so I thought, you know, that, that seems like the way to go. But I didn't really want to be a scientist, um, like, you know, do like chemistry or physics or like pure, pure mathematics. And I wanted to mean, you know, that's also more creative and hence yeah I wanted to go to a school where I could sort of do both so Columbia has engineering and then a neighboring college called Barnard um you know they're very known for like the arts so I was able to do uh, a dance minor um, when I was at Barnard and I think that that's that's the main reason like why I wanted to, to go to Columbia so that I didn't have to sort of just be somewhat constrained by the requirements of my degree 
Yeah, yeah. So I was able to take like all these math classes, computer science classes, um, and along with, you know, like art history, yeah, dance and economics, of course. That's fantastic. What a great combo. So tell me about dancing. Are you still oh. dancing? I try, but not, <laughs> not as much as I as I've done before. Yeah, I think I'm always trying to like get back to it. But the thing is, most of the class times are like either on weekends or like after after work. Yeah. So I haven't really been been able to do it. But yeah, yeah but I love it and I would love to like do it more. I hope you're dancing with the children at home. Yes, yes. <laughs> Excellent. I Good. Good. Um, and so um, your first role, your first sort of job out of formal education was at Barclays. And I think that was in the US. Is that right? Was yes, it in New York? Right. I was in New York for two years. Yeah. yeah. So you came out of college and you just decided to, to, you wanted to stay in the US for a period of time or mm-hmm. the role presented itself. Was there some kind of, uh, what was the journey to that role? Yeah, I mean, so um, for I think most uh, of the, I think this is probably still the case now, but the sort of recruitment season starts um, when you're in junior year, so the, the third year of college, um, and then all these companies come to campus and you think about, you know, what, what you want to do, um, firstly for, for that summer, the summer before you enter the workforce, I mean, the year before you enter the workforce, but also like longer term, and, and back then I was just thinking about, you know, what I wanted to do, and also tying it back to like what I've done before and what I enjoy doing and learning about in, in class. Yeah, and then after just interviewing, sort of just trying things out, right? Um, going to to different like sessions to learn about what people do in their jobs, and then interviewing and, and meeting, you know, sort of different people in, in all these different roles. I figured that based on what I wanted to do, like I probably had a had a good chance of being able to find something in the U.S. Uh, in New York, more specifically, being that you know it's like a, a huge financial hub. Yeah. And yeah, I think it just at that point in time, I really wanted to just stay in New York for a bit longer. Um, and so, yeah, I lucky that I was able to do that. Yeah, fantastic. And then, so you were there for a couple of years more and mm-hmm. then came home to Singapore. Was there a catalyst for coming back? Yeah, so it's a personal uh, reason uh, why I came back. <laughs> so my, at that time, my fiancé was, was here. Um, so husband right. And then, yeah, I just didn't really want to be, be away for, you know, for a very long time. Um, yeah. And I think also for like visa reasons, you know, being on like the, the work visa, it was it was somewhat restrictive in terms of what, what jobs you could you could go into next. Yeah. And but I think mostly it was yeah, the reason that I wanted to come home and to be closer to family. Yeah. And I think oh. at that time too, oh, sorry, just to add on. Yeah. yeah, I mean I worked a lot with like US institutions and at that time, I think even now, a lot of the opportunities are in Asia. So I always knew that I wanted to be, you know, in Asia longer term. Yeah. But of course, you know, just for like being having that personal reason kind of moved that forward a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It was love. Yes. <laughs> love brought you home. <laughs> so you're back in Singapore and you take a job at Franklin Templeton, where you stayed for over seven years as a product manager. Could we talk about that a little more? What you did there, you know, things you learned and took forward into your current role, which is at Scythe. Yeah, uh, so if I just explain what I did before in Barclays, so I was part of the index research team. So an index, you know, it's like a, a way of classifying a set of securities. It could be bonds, it could be um, stocks, right? So the most, maybe the most famous one is like S&P 500. Um, but for, for fixed income, because um, there are just a lot more securities. So a lot of these indices um, would have like thousands of bonds. Um, and then managers would try to track the index um, in order to, you know, match the, the performance in the profile or they try to outperform. So in my role there, um, we're trying to find solutions for, you know, for uh, clients who are either trying to match the returns or 
you know, use analytics to, to think of like outperforming. Yeah, so wrote like research pieces, thought about like construction. Um, so for instance, something that's quite common is um, like to market weight, right? So for instance, Apple is, is huge as a huge market cap. So obviously you have the, the biggest allocation in an index. Similarly, right, so US treasuries, they have the most not outstanding, so they will be the, the largest too. Um, but there are ways to like, think about, you know, do you want to weigh it differently? So you can weigh it by debt to GDP. So meaning that the countries that have a lower debt to GDP, they could have an outsized, you know, slightly larger allocation in the index. So we, we worked on like these things, um, sort of capture like, you know, smart beta. Yeah. And then I think one of the, um, I really like this concept that I learned in school. It's called the NAFSEC problem or trying to like, you know, thinking of um, presenting a problem in that way, which is imagine that you're going camping um, and then you have a knapsack that has a limited capacity, right? maybe like 20 liters or 40 liters. And then you need to put everything that you need for your trip in the bag. But you also want to pack it in a way that it makes it easy to retrieve, right? So for instance, you want to have your like umbrella or your poncho on the side, you don't have your water bottle on the side. So you sort of, the order in which you put things and the amount of stuff that you put in would sort of affect how your experience using it after it becomes. And then this applies in finance because in a lot of cases, right, we're trying to find the optimal mix of assets in, you know, when, when we're trying to invest or if we're trying to like think of um, if I want to reach this goal, this financial goal, how do I get there? Yeah. So the very simple concept, but it's a, you know, I think when you apply in a in like finance it becomes a bit more complicated. But in that sense, um, I just really like the idea. So elegant, right? And then afterwards, but that's more like the passive investing. So after having like that very quantitative background, I wanted to just find out, you know, how do people actually manage their money? And Franklin being like an, act, an actively managed or an active fund manager, then yeah, I figured like I should sort of move into that area a bit more. And I wanted to come to Singapore and they, and they were pretty big in, and they are still, still pretty big in, in the region. Yeah, so that's how I ended up there. Yeah, what I was doing, so I was like a product uh, manager and then eventually it was like renamed as a product specialist. So we represented strategies, you know, from the various, I guess, investment platforms within Franklin Templeton. And that's across retail and institutional clients who have, you know, a lot of different needs. And then, yeah, and then that could mean, you know, writing a lot of uh, content, um, like white papers, um, fun commentaries, and then getting back to, to clients with questions, representing the, the strategy, like, you know, through meetings and, and calls um, when we do a performance update or, you know, when it's having a change yeah. in the portfolio. Yeah. And also like, yeah, figuring out what competitors are doing, you know, analyzing the, the landscape there. Yeah. And I think that ties in quite closely to what I'm doing now, because we're also trying to get a hold of, you know, what, what do investors want? Are we, are our products fitting a gap? Can we help them to reach their financial goals? But also as we as we go along, right? So when it's first, um, we first put the product, like how do we keep improving it and, and adapting it you know, over time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really like the knapsack analogy. I think little things like that can actually be really useful when talking to um, children about money mm-hmm. because they love learning about these types of concepts. And I think that's a great analogy and a really simple one for people to to grasp. The Money Makers Podcast is brought to you by Sophia, the place for women to learn, invest, and change the world. Sophia is an education platform for women, providing much needed courses on personal finance and investing, with a goal to increase diversity and inclusion in early stage investing. 
Go to sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount on all of our courses. Before we jump into your role at um, SIFE, et cetera, could you give, for the benefit of our audience who don't know SIFE, you know, wh- who you are and who do you help and how do you help people? Yeah, so SIFE is a Singapore headquartered and MAS licensed digital investment platform. So recently, I think last week, uh, we just became live in Hong Kong too, and we should be launching um, in a few weeks time. Yeah, so we believe that investing should be, you know, accessible to everyone. And through our platform, we enable people through, you know, smart, affordable and intuitive financial solutions. Is it a robo-advisory or is it different to um, a robo? Yeah, I guess it's um, sort of grouped with, you know, in this term is applied very broadly. Mm. Um, but we do have um, a human team of uh, like so our investment team you know there, there are seven of us sort of we're not just purely like algorithmic but it's very yes. systematic yeah so yeah. Um, a lot of like thought goes into the research and then of course we rely on you know technology to help us optimize our portfolios yeah and who do you target who are your customers mm-hmm. what type yeah. of you know demographic but also money mindset are your customers people that just want to put money somewhere and have someone else manage it are they customers that really want to you know really understand everything and every place their money's going and how it's growing mm. I'd love to know a bit more about that yeah no, that's a great question so it, actually all of the above um, <laughs> in a way yeah so we do sort of split it into into two solutions for for Singapore so like Scythe Well where it's um with less self-directed right so um, it's curated and managed portfolios and then Scythe Trade you know it's more user-directed we can go on and buy you know U.S. stocks ETFs at, at really affordable fees, right? So yeah, sort of goals um, spans the, the gamut. And something that's quite interesting that we like to mention is that um, you might think that, you know, the users tend to maybe skew younger um, because it's like very app heavy, right? Or, you know. Um, yes. Yeah, but yeah, um, when we sort of surveyed our, our user base, it goes from like 18 years old to 93 years old. So I think the use case or you know the gap that we're trying to fill yeah it addresses you know a lot of needs that people have um it could be someone who just wants to to think of um, like a cash solution right so if I just want to park my cash in in a product that might give me more than what I what I could get um in a bank savings account which is like 2.1 percent and we have a solution for that um if you're someone who's you know just came out of the workforce or I mean just entered the workforce just came out of school and you want to start investing right and you, you, you want to start small let's say you just want to put thousand dollars and then maybe every every month you put you know three or four hundred dollars that you can do that too or if you're someone who's older like so my parents they're also on the platform and I think what what they're looking for and what someone younger is looking for would be quite different too but we try to um, of course you know have a solution that caters to most people and across you know different investment needs. Yeah. What's interesting to me is, you know, companies like Scythe and Stashaway, et cetera, are making investing a bit more accessible for people. Mm-hmm. And I would love to understand, or I think our audience would love to understand a little bit more around, you know, do you have, are there minimum amounts? Is it, is there a minimum amount of, that you would invest to make it viable given, you know, that there will be fees associated with investing? Mm-hmm. Do you have any information on that? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's no minimum amount to invest. And then our cash management solution, there are no fees to it's absolutely zero. So, you know, um, I'll target it, uh, projected yields at 1.2%. And then we've been on track to 
to meet that. So that's you know much better than like what you get in a bank. Uh, but you still have flexibility. You know you can withdraw money at any time. But for the investment products, um, there is a tiered fee range. Um, so for instance, um, the lowest I mean amount um is zero, right? But then up to twenty thousand dollars, then the fee on that is sixty five basis points. And of course, the more you invest, um, the fee comes down to thirty five basis points. Yeah, I think um, I would love to hear your view on sort of how the investing landscape has changed over time, because you talk about some of your customers being super young, you know, 18 is very young. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, Grace, but at 18, I don't think I even understood what the term investing meant. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wouldn't have you know, had money together and put that into any kind of investment vehicle. Much to my regret now, the benefit of- I feel like 18, I was just like, where am I going to go to for for college? And then, yeah, yeah, it's great that, that, you know, I feel like people are just starting younger and- yeah. I think in the past we've had like people, you know, people even younger, like come on and say, Can I join? Well, I know you can't, you know, because the minimum is 18. Yes. Um, so I think it's always good to start sort of like you know, start having these conversations or thinking about it much younger. And then now I think the biggest thing is that information is so accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and content, there's just a lot of content being created. And then even like, you know, for for me and my um and my team that um that put out a lot of content on site, but we focus a lot on investor education. Um we think it's very important people know what they're getting into. And a lot of these sort of very like jargony speak that people associate with finance, like that's really changing. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think that's been like a generational shift in a way. You know, it's like, how do I make it clear? How do I make it simple? Right. Yeah. So like not to hide behind the, the jargon. So I think it's great that we are seeing, you know, some effect of that where people are like, you know, they're being very interested. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in that way, you know, yeah. um, it's very promising. I feel like, though, it's sort of getting younger people. Are, Yes, you've just touched on so many things I would love to talk to you about. So talking about age, I recently ran a um, financial literacy 90 minute workshop with six six or seven Singapore based university students. And they were at um, various academic institutions around the island. And they came along just to understand money. And it's really interesting because you talk about education and how important that is to, you know, offer that at um, SIFE. And I, obviously, as a co-founder of a financial education platform, I couldn't agree more. And it's a real shame that financial education does fall through the cracks. You know, it isn't covered at all in our education system. And I think for a lot of us, we grow up with parents who also, you know, have been through that education system and therefore lack the skills that they probably need to be talking to us about it. And I know that you and I have spoken about this in the past about you know the importance of financial education for children but these students were obviously between 18 to 21 I believe and you know it was interesting there was a very clear divide actually there was a gender divide as well which I found super interesting but there was there was a divide in you know some some of them were completely starting at ground zero and needed you know guidance and handholding from the very start and then there were two or three that were already investing, taking a portion of their money, already investing. So really, you know, thinking about that future. So that was very encouraging that that's happening. And to the point also on 
young um, people is the, those the financial concepts and and you the jargon and all of the the language generally it, it is very off-putting it, or it can be and I think a lot of people feel like they need to be a Wall Street trader to understand but I see you know companies like Cypher really helping demystify and hopefully you know my company Sophia also is as well and making it much more relatable not dumbing down but just you don't need to use such complex Right? Yeah. Approachable, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very interesting that that actually is attracting a new, you know, sub a segment of people that perhaps you know historically not been investors. So that's mm-hmm. super encouraging, and um, kudos to Saif for being part of that movement and yeah, change. So can I ask, um, what were some of your your own like, sort of personal findings from after running the the workshop? Yes, that's a really good question. You should be a podcast host. Um, <laughs> I'm so, really interested, actually. Yeah. As, as I mentioned, there was a gender divide, which I, you know, kind of knew that because obviously this is my area, but it was just super confronting to be in a room and see, you know, a group of young girls you know, consider that they have almost no financial knowledge whatsoever. And conversely, the boys of a similar age, you know, sometimes ranking themselves, you know, as a a 10 out of 10, like full knowledge already. And so that was very interesting. But I think what I took away from that is I think young people in Singapore are, you know, generally on on a global scale, probably amongst the most, you know, sensible youngsters. And so what I took away from that session was that they were all very focused on making enough money to spend time with their family, which is very different because, or looking after their family and spending time with their family, which is very different because as a, a, in Europe and, and perhaps the West more generally, we tend to want to get away from our family. So it was <laughs> as fast as possible. So it was very funny to hear that, you know, there's very different cultural differences, but mm. they were also striving for financial for a financial status that would allow them freedom, freedom to do, you know, things that they wanted, but they couldn't really identify what those things were. I felt what freedom meant. Yeah. I felt like they had been told from a young age, just make money, just make money. Uh, Your goal in life is to make money, but to what end, what are we making money for? And when, when is enough? I don't think those are things, and quite rightly, they were 18 to 21 years old. You know, you don't have all the answers at that age. So I remember at the end of the session, after an hour and a half of trying to teach them about, you know, investing. So taking your money, spending some, saving some, and investing some, you know, three different buckets. And I remember at the end thinking, oh my goodness, I don't want these young people to go away and think they must invest every penny and live you know, without joy. And so I remember saying to them, you know, guys, don't forget that, you know, there's joy to be had in having some money and spend it mm-hmm. and enjoy that. And there's, there's no guilt or shame attached to that whatsoever. So yeah, it will be interesting to catch up with them in six months and see what kind of tools they implemented that we um, tried to teach them. But- yeah, I know we talked about like, you know, just um, how do you kind of start kids young, right? To have like a good relationship, like a healthy relationship about, about money, um, regardless of, you know, if they have, if they have like a lot, if they, or if they don't, you know, compared to other families, they may not seem like they have a lot. And mm. just how do you, yeah, just have a good relationship with you- money. And then you sort of also, you know, think about how 
So the money's for spending, money's for sharing, and then money's also for investing and so on, right? So yeah, yeah. I'm also trying to work on it with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you can absolutely do that. I mean, I trying to get everyone to do something similar. So I don't know about you, Grace, but I give my children a five dollar a week allowance, which is you know mm-hmm. not a lot of money, but they they have to decide week by week what they're saving, what they're spending, and what they're mm-hmm. investing, and they do that. And we invest together and they save for a big, a big item, like a big ticket Mm -hmm. item. So at the moment, it's a remote controlled car, which is $80. And then the spending usually is like one or $2 on candy. So that's, they've not got a lot of money, but the thing they're learning from that, it applies to you and me today, right? Even if we had $100,000. So I think you can absolutely do it. And I'd love to see more parents doing. I think I might try that because I always felt like, I wasn't sure what age to to start to start them on, right? Um, I guess as long as they can count, I guess you can probably start. So maybe at like three or four years old. Um, but yeah, I might I might do that start starting next week or, or this weekend with my with my son. Yeah, five. yeah. I, oh, perfect. My daughter's five. So uh, the that's the data tells us that by the age of seven, a lot of our money habits are formed already. So mm. not that you're a lost cause after seven, of <laughs> course. Um, but you know, that just I think that just compels us to start, you know, to start much earlier than I think we probably otherwise thought that we should. So I think four or five is probably about perfect. Anything else that you think that we can all do, like sort of parents who've not really started, um, you know, besides allowance. There's definitely things I think we should do as parents. I think taking our children to the grocery store, looking at pricing, you know, teaching them, you know, my children used to think that if we ran out of money, you know, if I didn't have money in my purse, you just go to the ATM and you just get more. So, you know, I, and I see my friends who have children, teenagers who are struggling with teaching them the concept of money, you know, oh, well, why can't I just have those $300 pair of trainers? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, they don't have the value. They don't understand the value of money. And I think that's something that you can really teach like, okay, well, we could buy this for $10, but this version is only $8. Which version should we get? I have those conversations with my kids in the store all the time. And then it's like, yeah. And then it's like, oh, but that's pretty good. Yeah. Because they're they're young, but they, I mean, it's a pretty easy concept for them to, to grasp already. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Taking them to the bank, taking them to grocery stores, like just talking to them, you know, there's the orange juice machines in Singapore (laughs) um, that are $2, right? That's a great example because in the coffee shop, they're $6. And I'm saying you can have three orange juices for the next (laughs) three days versus your one in the coffee shop. And like, which do you want? Like it's yeah. it's that kind of conversation, which the is marshmallow test, but yeah. with orange juice. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, Grace, I've really enjoyed our chat. Thank you very much. What does the future hold for you? Let's wrap up with what is the future, or what is future? What does future Grace look like, other than starting pocket money or allowances with your five-year-old? What else is you know exciting in the world of um, you or Saif for us for you to look forward to? Yeah, I think for for Scythe, maybe I'll start there because um, I think that's probably the like the most certain at least. Yeah, so we we've you know we've launched in in Hong Kong um, this month, and we'll be you know sort of keep um, expanding both like the country, but also in terms of our, our product suite to enhance the solutions that we have. Yeah, and just to to be a platform that many people can rely on for the investment journey. Fantastic. For, for me personally, I don't know. I always feel like these sort of projection things are so hard to, to do. Yeah, like sometimes I don't even know what I'll have for, 
for lunch tomorrow or even now yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm hungry now sort <laughs> <laughs> of decide like okay I'm hungry now what, what should I get <laughs> yeah but, no I think overall yeah I think something that's that I hold quite quite dear is just that I want to to be just like keep growing right um both like professionally and personally um and to and to meet more people and then take some few opinions of on, on what they're working on and then think of um yeah just having you know the really important conversations with my family and with my kids yeah good that's a great note to end on thank yeah, you so thank much you. for your time today really appreciate it oh, thank you Tanya my pleasure We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Money Makers podcast brought to you by Sophia, the education platform for women that increases diversity in early stage investing. Visit sophiawomen.com and use promo code PODCAST10 to receive a 10% discount on all our courses. Learn, invest and change the world.